0: Hey everybody, I'm Robert and I'm Chris and it's time for another hot take and this time we are bringing you Midsummer Chris and I both saw this movie in the theaters and we felt that we needed to sit down and talk about it for a little bit. Yeah, and this might not be a normal hot take because we have so much to say. That's right. In fact, we kind of thought about putting it on the back burner and doing a sort of deep dive into the movie. And we'll sort of like see how this conversation goes, but that may happen sometime in the future. I think we either need more time to process or we've seen it once and we can process it now but let's get started and talk about this movie
1: Midsummer is a folk horror film written and directed by Ari Aster who of course famously directed Hereditary yes which we did not enjoy as much as this film yeah Actually, you really loved Hereditary, and you uh, and you especially loved the performance. I did. So the first time that I watched Hereditary, I really, really enjoyed it. And
0: the performance of Toni Collette was just amazing to me.
1: Yeah, it's... and I completely agree. Toni Collette was, you know, a revelation in that I, movie. For
0: real, though. I mean, like, you throw that adjective around loosely, right? But it's, I mean, she was great. As far as, like, horror performances go, I think that's, like, tops. But yeah, Tony Collette's performance in *Hereditary* was amazing. And after I had stopped to think about the movie itself, and on my second watch, I, you know, I had some issues with it.
1: I didn't really enjoy it as much as other people. Everyone just seemed like they were just loving it, and the community just nonstop couldn't have enough of it. And I watched it, and I was just, maybe that's part of why I didn't love it as much. Mm-hmm. I'm not a contrarian, but maybe it's just because it built it so much up in my mind yeah, that I didn't enjoy it as much. And um, I haven't really felt the need to see it again. There was some weird stuff in that movie that's not weird for the sake of, like, entertainment, but just, like, weird, weird. Yeah, And you could say the same for this film, but there is, like, a narrative purpose for it, right? So I think that's what kind of separates the two. And I feel like this director, Ari Aster, is quickly becoming the new, like, Lars von Trier of horror. Oh, for right? sure. Yeah. Because he really seems to be, like, focusing on a single emotion in mm-hmm. a storytelling, right? And making that a part of the story, especially in Midsommar.
0: So Midsommar is about a young woman who experiences a very tragic family event, and she sort of tags along on a trip to Sweden with her eh, somewhat serious boyfriend of three years, right? And his friends.
1: Yeah, and that relationship is a little bit on the ropes. You know, she's, she's had that major loss. Right? Right. And she's basically introduced to this community where every major emotion in every major point of these people's lives is shared, almost in like a, a proto-supernatural like supernatural way. That's right. Uh, it's left a little ambiguous there. So when they get to Sweden, they
0: are in this really small, cut-off community who have lived together for a very long time. Generations. Right. And every 90 years, they have a midsummer celebration involving many different rites and passages. And these people who are invited main characters and others are sort of like like are privy to what's going on behind the scenes
1: yeah and what we kind of find out is that a lot of those things they are doing like the maypole celebration and all that they're doing actually every year right that season during midsummer but it's some very specific things that they're doing that only happen every 90 years right right and that happens at the end of the film
0: the things that I like most about this movie, like you had already said, is that it focuses on emotion, right? And I think that Ari Aster did that very well in Hereditary. I think that he tackled grief in that movie well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And like how you how you deal with grief. And I think in this movie, he does sort of the exact same thing, but he really has the room to expand on that.
1: Right, yeah. And it's really about the importance of empathy and the need for it when going through tragedy and emotion that you just can't really bear yourself you can't bear it as a burden yourself and it just leaks out and it is alluded that she already kind of has some sort of panic disorder or Mm -hmm. anxiety disorder and they actually handled that really really well in the film the tragedy at the beginning of the film is actually her sister who is i guess manic depressive Based on the conversations that she has with her boyfriend, she's really worried about some of the messages her sister is sending her uh, over im or email mm-hmm. her boyfriends like, well, she does this all the time, it's habitual, blah 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 blah. she's like, yeah, I know, but I still worry you know but it's it's seen like this person you know through their dialogue is just seen as kind of all over the place and they can't really trust what she says and that she's essentially what we learn is that she was dangerous yeah. right and so that's not necessarily fair. Uh, for that condition, but it's necessary for this plot to move forward. Her sister needed empathy and support and she didn't have enough of it to really get her through because what she ended up doing is she ended up tying this tube to the cars in the garage and feeding it into her parents' bedroom and into her own mouth, duct taped to her own mouth and basically killed her parents and killed herself. And when this character, Danny finds out, she is of course devastated to learn that her sister has killed herself and killed her parents along with her. So she's lost her, essentially her whole family at this point. And her boyfriend is just not really there for her. And you get the feeling in visual storytelling, that he's kind of, he kind of feels trapped in the relationship. They were on the kind of the verge of breaking up, I feel like. And she's worried that she's too needy and is taking too much of his time. And anything that she asks of him for emotional support is too much. And so she's second guessing herself all the time. It doesn't really seem like she's doing that. But from the boyfriend's perspective, his friends are telling him, you know, that she's too needy. And she's always got some drama going on. But guess what? Her whole family just died. And so he was on the verge anyway. And it just it seems like he's viewing it now that her family's died. He's trapped. He has to be there for her. You he would feel too guilty otherwise. That's not a healthy place to be anyway in a relationship. It's really about her and her struggle and needing of support. She didn't have that support and how she didn't have that support from a lack of family, lack of friends, and a lack of support from her closest relationship. And finally, she's introduced to this community, which is creepy and ritualistic and mysterious and everything else, but also kind of beautiful in a way. And... You slowly notice throughout the film that they're sharing this emotion at major intervals, like in these people's lives, you know, like coming of age kind of stuff and deaths, obviously, is a major plot point in the film. Mm -hmm. One of the first clues, of course, that this community may be a little darker than what it seems on the outside is... How their life is seen as kind of cyclical, right? They split up a human life into quadrants like the spring and the summer and the fall and the winter. And once you get to the end of winter, you're 72 years old and you're supposed to kill yourself. And they are happy to do so because that theoretically allows another life to be born and they actually name those lives after the people that had killed themselves. Well, it's a sacrifice. Right? Yeah, I mean, yeah. so
0: I think you touched on some really good things in that, you know, that those those comments. Um I know that Ari Aster said that he wanted to make a movie about a breakup, right? And so I think that at the heart of it that's what he was like it's the one thing that leads us through the movie it's like the narrative crux
1: it was actually supposed to be a slasher originally set in sweden oh, that that's one, where i began and then he wanted to do a breakup because he was going actually through a breakup right and so all of this kind of melded together but with the advent of the shared emotion uh, the very unique portrayal of shared emotion in this community Combined with her tragedy, she does not have this. And this is what this community has in stark contrast, right? (laughs) Well and that's the thing. Is that I think that
0: as, as human beings, we're supposed to, to to share our emotions. I mean, like I think that, you know, empathy and, you know, all those things are should be part of the human existence, right? We're supposed to find friends, find people, find family and keep family and share an experience, share an emotions and share everything. Maybe be like good or tragic. And in this particular instance, she's dealing with somebody that you know, maybe mentally ill or whatever. And she's having a hard time dealing with all of it. She feels some sort of, like, burden, you know? Mm-hmm. And there's nobody around to help her with all of that, right? And the, the, the opening of that movie is, is so
1: incredibly horrific to me. Like Oh, it was so disturbing, uh, I mean, the way it was done. And it was just so tragic. Yeah. And you don't really blame the sister for doing it because she was obviously very mentally ill and you knew like the way the movie was progressing
0: from the like the intro or the overture or whatever you want to call it right um, that something was going to happen there was going to be an event to like sort of set everything in motion they really like led up to that mm-hmm. I was surprised at how long the intro lasted before the credits you know what I mean because by the time they got to some of those like more shocking scenes right and then the credits start to roll and then like the opening credits of this movie to me are so incredibly beautiful, like with the snow falling in the background and whatnot. And I was just like, Ooh, this movie is going to be something special yeah. because I really didn't know going into it based on the trailers, what to expect. Right. I mean, we all got some vibes of the wicker man and things like that. And we knew there was going to be a lot of full core aspects to it. And I think that the movie itself became really sort of shocking as it went on. And I I didn't expect half of things that I saw on screen. So.
1: No, no, I didn't either. Uh, I really loved how they pieced this together to kind of kick off things. There's an exchange student, right, from right. Sweden. And he's kind of bringing everyone along with him because what we find out is that he was basically sent to do so. Mm-hmm. He was sent to bring four or five people to come basically in for sacrifice, you know, which is the 90 year deal. What's interesting to me is that it was not planned for him to bring Danny. But after her tragedy, he did say something that was very true and I think remains true for that character was that he was most excited for her to come because he saw her tragedy. He saw what she was going through, that she could barely deal with it. And he knew that based on his own tragedy from his past, I believe his parents burned alive and that he had joined this community. The community took him in and shared that grief with him and, and basically took that. Burden from him see and i thought that he was already part of that community so he talked
0: at the end of the movie where they're burning everybody i just assumed that his parents were also self-sacrifices not and, 90 years ago oh i guess you're right they only burn people 90 years
1: yeah the only thing oh god that's that was... the 90 <laughs> years is That the thing where they're jumping off the cliff happens anytime someone turns 72 they just happen to witness that okay right and they were using it they probably do it every season and witness it every season I got you. Right. The only 90 years thing, I believe, is the locking in the barn, you know, the temple. They built it. Yeah. Yeah, so this character he's uh, he's the exchange student, and he's and he's going to try and and bring all these people for eventual sacrifice. Little do they know, and of course, including two sociology students or anthropology students. I've forgotten one of which has already planned to do his dissertation on this community right. based on what he's heard. But he tells Danny that he is most excited for her to be there. and I believe that's genuine. He's tricked the others into coming. For those reasons, but I I believe he's genuinely excited for her to come because they don't end up sacrificing her. Spoiler alert! You know she becomes something in the community. She's able to basically take part in this community and share every emotion she has, and help her through everything that she experiences. And that's something that she did not have before. And I believe it's alluded that she stays with the community afterwards. I mean, I would think so. I think that she finally found a way to
0: express her grief, express her emotion, and to find people... And that's what she wanted all along, was someone to accept it and to work things through with her. And that's what people want in general. I mean, like, we all want to connect to somebody and have them understand exactly what's going on in our lives and to be able to share things with, whether or not they're experiencing it firsthand. I mean, we can tell them and they should be able to empathize with it. And that's exactly what this community does. Yeah, They're empathizing so much, you know, and that's just one part of this movie really is just like the emotions felt by that one particular Character, but
1: there's really so much going on here. Yeah, there is a lot to unpack, but we've been beating around the bush a little bit with the shared emotion, and I want to bring up several examples. So one of the first things is what's really interesting is like they're walking to the community and you hear this music, like these this like not chanting, but like ooh. You know, like this like elvish kind of weirdness. And I was like, that's interesting music. You know, it's like they're setting this up, you know, for a reveal or something. And it's actually like it's one of those things where in a movie where you're not sure the music is – diegetic or non-diegetic happening within the film or out without. And I just assumed it was the track, the soundtrack, right? Right. No, it was people right by the entrance singing. And I thought that was really interesting. And they kind of keep doing that sort of thing throughout the movie uh, to kind of like immerse you in a a really kind of dissonant, odd, funhouse mirror kind of way. But then, of course, the first major thing is when those 72-year-olds are basically jumping off a giant cliff to kill themselves, one does not instantly die and is basically suffering a giant like bone out of his leg break, you know, and they're all screaming and writhing with pain, essentially with this man, experiencing it with him in a way to show that empathy. But they basically have to take a big hammer and put the guy out of his misery. And they keep showing that head. That's right. So that's, that's fun for you squeamish people out there. (laughs) Another big moment, of course, is a moment where a woman, is coming into her own and is expected to have sex for the very first time. And, of course, the women of the village are helping her through that experience, both the pain and the pleasure and everything, including all of the sounds (laughs) that you'd experience (laughs) and everything else. So that's a very interesting sex scene. I've never seen quite the like. I don't think I'll see it again. No, I, I, I was I mean kind of shocked really. The I mean the last thing I can think of is Rosemary's baby.
0: Yeah. Um, and that was sort of like dreamlike too, right? You yeah. know, I mean, it was sort of like otherworldly. You're talking about that music when they were walking into the to the area and like this movie itself, we know is part of folk horror and that music really set up to me the sort of like fairy tale quality of the movie, which I think mm-hmm. a lot of folklore does. Yeah, and
1: I mean, so it just created this otherworldly sense from the get go, and the characters are experiencing that inside the film as well. Exactly, because uh, before they even get there, they're like, "This isn't normal. It's nine o'clock at night." you know, and it's bright and sunny outside. It's right. So everything that they're experiencing is sort of like otherworldly to begin with. The thing that
0: I like about everything leading up to that epic sex scene is done with such masterful visual storytelling, right? They like pan across that like tapestry out there, that painting, right? That shows the steps that she goes through to like get the person that she's going to impregnate her, right? And I really appreciated that, right? Because some of the things that were depicted on those paintings, you know, in the hands of, you know, a more like in-your-face director or something like that would have made this movie, you know, like sort of exploitation or something yeah. like that, you know? Well,
1: there was a couple of silly moments where you either you buy into it or, you, or you're taken aback by it and you kind of remove yourself from the movie. I remember several times going through this movie and I was thinking... This is a little silliest walking the line of like masturbatory self-importance and silliness. But he really brings it home and in uh, in those scenes and at the end. And so I kind of kind of forgive him of that.
0: I mean, I forgive him a lot
1: because, I mean, like in those in, in, the, in those
0: paintings, we see some things like, you know, hairs put into pies, you know, mm-hmm. things put into drinks. Right. Mm-hmm. And we see those things happen throughout the movie, but we don't see them done. It's supposed to right? be like
1: ritualistic. Magic. Exactly. And yet another piece of that ambiguous supernatural element. Right. Do you think this was supernatural at all? Like with the shared emotion thing, the spells that they're trying to do, if it was all just tradition. What do you think?
0: I mean, like ultimately, no. I don't I don't I don't really see a supernatural part of this. I really just see it as a group of people who are used to living together. And I know that if you have a, a generational community like that, where people have like lived together all their lives, they're used to doing things in a certain way. I don't think it's supernatural. I think it's just the way that
1: they accept things, right? The only thing that made me think th- like, rethink all of that to where it could be supernatural is kind of the end stages of the Maypole contest, where, like, the last woman standing is the May Queen, right? And that's fairly innocent. Uh, you know, they, they do their dance. And the last one standing after drinking this, like, LSD cocktail or something, yeah. you know, is is uh, is the May Queen. And they put her all in flowers. And she gets to kind of run the the feast and, and everything else and do some ritualistic planting of seeds and meat and weirdness. And that's all kind of innocent, right? It's all tradition and, and symbolism and blah, blah, blah. But the last part of that dance, she starts speaking Swedish. Mm-hmm. And she can't speak Swedish. And are like, I can speak it now. Like, we're in the same mind or something. And I was like, okay. So, and then they leave it. They leave it there. So she got into this point of, of mind where she kind of joined the community as she kind of let go during that dance. And kind of was able to speak the language quite literally, right? And then they kind of let that go and they don't touch on it again. And it kind of adds to that ambiguity. But at the same time, that happened. Right, so I'm. I'm. It's not really important. I just thought that was interesting. Well, I know there have been like actual accounts of people being thrust
0: into an environment and suddenly taking on their language or certain words or things like
1: that. I mean, you pick it up and you don't really realize you've done it or whatever. So, yeah, she understood her, and then she was responding back, and they're like, "I can speak here. <laughs> I can understand and speak." You know, she's like, "Yeah, you can." <laughs> you know, so it's like, it was really interesting to me. And the um, thing is, by the time
0: of that part in the movie, there was so much like. Already visual, like drug things going on. I mean, like grass growing through feet and things like that. I mean, I
1: yeah, yeah,
0: I didn't stop to think about whether or not that was actually happening or maybe it was happening in her own mind you know it's hard to separate that's
1: true yeah you know what was actually happening in real life or what she was experiencing two characters every time they showed that sort of thing that sort of hallucination with the characters it would be through their own eyes versus this was done between two characters in a dialogue
0: well and then every other instance of things that were happening that were sort of trippy in this movie were not exactly through someone's eyes I mean like we as an audience got to see flowers breathing and things like that, right? Which I yeah. again could be
1: another felt emotion or you know between everybody at that particular situation. Well, it was really interesting several points because as they're approaching back at the beginning of the film, you know, as they're already in Sweden and they're approaching this community, the camera kind of tilts it goes upside down as you're entering the this area and that's when they start noticing weird things with time and things mm-hmm. like that and so it just adds to that ambiguity they're very careful to walk this line and this is not really a note on the story or important to the plot of the story but i thought it was really interesting and kind of masterful you know uh, to create that mood because that's certainly that ambiguity walking that razor's edge there was was uh, i think important to create the very specific feeling of this film and I have to agree the entire thing
0: was a fairy tale and I mean with all like the, the the effects they did and trying to make you understand what these people were going through when they take whatever drug they do because as soon as they get to that place, they they take some drugs and they spend some time on their own before they
1: head up to the community. Yeah, it's tradition to right. kind of prepare yourself before you enter the community, almost like a cleansing or something of the mind more than anything else. Well, and she has to experience her grief all over again.
0: Yep. Like, she hears people talking and she has to run off on her own, right? And
1: they all spend, like, overnight before they move on into the community as kind of a stopping point. And I thought that was really, really cool way of representing like going through a gateway in a way, preparing yourself. The gore in this film is incredible.
0: (laughs) The makeup effects in this movie are incredible too. I mean, I just, I mean the entire thing visually is amazing. I love that. I mean, toward the end and here's, here's some spoilers for you too. Like uh, our main character, Danny is given a choice about who is going to be ultimately sacrificed, right? The boyfriend that she has been trying to hold on to who's not really satisfying her needs and the another person from the community who was offering themselves up. And she chooses her boyfriend to to burn as a sacrifice amongst the other friends that had come with her to the to the
1: place. Which I didn't like her doing because he's he is portrayed to the audience as kind of a douche. But he's not a bad or evil person, right? he's not emotionally available. Yeah. He's young and ambitious and kind of stupid, but he doesn't deserve to die. He doesn't deserve to be injured in that way. And yet she does choose him because she's feeling that pain. And I don't, I still don't know at the end when she realizes he's dead and dying, whether she's regretting her decision or she's just letting herself feel the pain of that betrayal, which we have not mentioned. The boyfriend was basically drugged and put a magic spell on, ambiguously, to go have sex with the person that was coming of age. He was chosen for his stock, chosen for his DNA, whatever. They had picked him, the elders or whatever, because he had the best genes amongst the men to enter new blood, I guess, into their family line. And so that's where all that happened. He was obviously drugged. He didn't know what the fuck was happening. And I don't think it's a true portrayal. You know, if anything, he betrayed her emotionally, but it was basically an elaborate male rape is what it was. He betrayed her emotionally from the get-go. It wasn't,
0: I mean, that, that particular act wasn't the final betrayal. Not know? in the traditional betrayal, though. He just wasn't emotionally available. When she needed it. Yeah. You know, I mean, like, the other side of the coin is, I don't have a problem with her choosing him to be sacrificed. I really don't. I think that by the time that she was given that choice, I think that she had already felt shared emotions with these people. I think she already felt
1: a part of their community. She felt accepted. And she felt a way to move on. Yeah, no, I can completely understand her choice there but at the same time I don't feel like it was a moral choice in the in the in the film is one thing versus compared to like reality is another so that's what I keep like that's what the problem I had with like Stranger of the Lake right they're making an ethical or moral choice and I make a judgment on it as an audience member right and so that's what I'm doing here I'm not judging the film by it I loved the shit out of this film and I think it's important I'd love to do a a much deeper dive of it someday because I think there's a lot more here to mine
0: yeah I mean I think we need to really I mean because there's a lot to touch on with this movie I think like I think the acting is superior I think that uh, Florence Pugh did a very good job in this movie i mean i really think that aryaster like Gets a great performance out of a leading lady. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I, I think that she was she was fantastic and in a way that Tony Collette was too. You know, he really let someone like take a handle on their emotions as an actor and let them put that to the forefront of the performance. I think that he really got some good comedic performances out of some of the like the side characters and things like that. Yeah,
1: I mean, and it was a well-written movie, a well-directed movie. And it has everything. There's gore and scare and nudity. It was- Including like several bad of male nudity, which is very rare to see. To me, it was very beautiful. I think that, I mean, it just
0: visually and acting and just everything about this movie was just was wonderful and at first when I heard about how long it was you know like two and a half hours I or plus a little long. bit it's ex- it's exactly what I was gonna say I didn't know that like the pacing of this movie is incredible yeah it's an like, hour. It's, it's 147 minutes mm-hmm. so I mean just I mean like the way that he paced this movie and like doled the story out he did it in such a way that kept you engaged and really wanted you to see what's going on and to, to to really feel the emotions of everything that's going on in there. And I think for like a sophomore effort, I think that's fantastic. Yeah. In a year of sophomore efforts. I mean, like this is the year we're getting the second movies from Jordan Peele We're getting this Ari Oster second one. We're getting the Roger Eggers like new movie coming out pretty soon. Who did The Witch? You know, I well, mean so, Plus 2 is gonna come out in January. Yeah. So I mean, like we're we're getting all these people and we're we're getting to see where their voices and horror is going or where it's leading. And I mean this was a really really good watch i
1: just enjoyed the shit out of it i really did i mean i know you said that i really did no this Uh, is something we can both agree on i would give it like a 4.5 out of 5 see the more i think about it i gave it
0: a 4 out of 5 there were some things that would cut out of the movie i mean like the 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 side storylines about people like stealing their master's thesis and things like that i was just like okay
1: well i think that was added to kind of set up you know, or the, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, the setup, the the douchiness mm-hmm. of this character in a more well-rounded way. Well,
0: because they really did have to make him a little bit more douchey. You know, it can't just be about his relationship to her. It has to be about his relationship to everybody else who's yeah, around. No, him, it was yeah, everything was yeah.
1: was meticulously done. You know, to where you would be on her side. You wouldn't abandon her emotionally as as a character driving the story. But at the same time, you would still have a little bit of conflict about her choice. So, it was done very, very well. Very measured. I think I need to watch it again, too. I know that I left
0: the theater and I I said, I, I've got to see this movie one more time, at least to sort of like, because I know there were things that I missed, you know, I was so immersed in the way it was presented to me visually that I, I know I missed things. And I, I want to go back and just see some of the stuff that he crafted as a filmmaker. The story I got you know, but there was a lot going on, you know, camera work wise. There's
1: a lot of stuff going on in the background. Yeah. And people I just, would be talking and you'd see stuff in the background. You could watch this movie a couple times and still not see everything going on. Cause there's a lot of foreshadowing and symbolism going on. There's constantly rituals that are going on in the background that are symbolism of things that are going to happen, mm-hmm. you know, or, you know, just kind of show the, the kind of nature of the community going on kind of in the, the background. So it's uh it was, it was just really interesting film emotionally visually all the way around agreed wholeheartedly and I think we may have a lot more to say about this
0: movie. I think, you know, after we let it like meld a little bit and maybe watch it again, you know, we might want to come back and like have some, you know, some more things to say.
1: Yeah, I definitely have some some more to say about like the community, the shared emotion stuff, because a lot of people are gonna leave that like sex scene. That's what a lot of people are talking about. Right, you know, as like contentious and shocking and, you know, silly and people will start laughing because they're uncomfortable. And what I took away from that was, yeah, there's a lot of that there. There's a lot of awkwardness and everything else because of you know the way. Western culture views sex and how private and sometimes naughty it is and everything else versus in this community, it was a beautiful thing that was, you know, you could see like the mother right there next to the daughter, you know, and everything to me, as much awkward and weird and silly and painful as it as it was to watch in some certain areas, it was also beautiful. And I think that that's not a big part of the dialogue right now surrounding some of these scenes. Well, and I've read a lot
0: about that particular scene. I know that actor said that he wanted to sort of make himself more vulnerable, like other women in film have been, right? So he chose to do like full frontal nudity. Oh,
1: they was like asked, and, yeah. and and they were like, "Well, do you want this or that?" And he was like, "No, just show it." all show what you need to show and do it i mean because i mean people women have been that way in film for a very long time and he said that everyone in that scene that they shot for like two weeks or something like was really uncomfortable (laughs) and uh you know but they all got pretty close by the end so and i think at the end of the day i mean this movie
0: is going to be you know, well regarded for for quite some time. I want to see what happens come Oscar season with it. I don't think it's going to be really high on Oscar people's like voting list. If if we learned anything from Hereditary, then we can just say that, you know, a performances may go by the wayside, and there may be some performances that are better than the ones that she gave. But I,
1: yeah, in this uh, Florence Pugh. Uh, She was an amazing actress, and I wouldn't mind seeing her nominated for several awards for this, you know, Saturn and certainly Oscars. But at the same time, it's like I I really feel like there should be like a crying Hall of Fame. I feel like she'd be like number two (laughs) right behind Claire Danes. (laughs) For sure. My God. I mean, like if there's an ugly crier thing
0: going on, the two of them could have some sort of competition. We'll just see who wins at the end of the day. (laughs) (laughs)
1: Yeah. Oh, I love Romeo and Juliet. (laughs) Oh, no, that was my impression of Florence.
0: Oh, that wasn't your Claire Danes? but well, they're incredibly similar. <laughs> they
1: really are. No, no, Claire Danes is... <laughs> oh,
0: fuck. <laughs> my God.
1: <clears throat> Excuse me.
0: Well, guys, uh, let us know what you think of Midsummer if you've seen it. I know this movie didn't perform as well as Hereditary did at the box office, and I'm not quite sure why. Maybe it's the length, or I think that Hereditary even had more like of a you know, advertising push than this one did. Mm. I mean, I never saw any like TV spots for this. Everything was social media. Oh, I don't, I don't know. know. Like, movies, like, they're know? they're
1: marketing the crap out of it after it's come out, even to the point where A24 is coming out with toys, like oh, that bear. <laughs> the. Bear in the cage and stuff like that's there's multiple things out like they're pushing it. it's actually hilarious and I know that Hereditary had a big word of mouth thing
0: right and so like people went to go see it weeks after it was released and I really hope this yeah. is the case because I think that a lot of people need to go see this if you're a horror fan and you're on the fence please go see Midsummer. it's good I promise that you will enjoy it like we said Chris gave it four four 4.5 out of 5 and I gave it a 4 so it's, it's pretty tops on our list so far for 2019 so yeah. let us know what you think of midsummer uh you can do so on social
1: media at the film flamers on twitter facebook and instagram and you can email us at tired at filmflamers.com or call our voice line at 972-666-7733 we have a lot more content coming out for you
0: this month next week we're going to bring you our deep dive into the silence of the lamb <laughs> and after that we have a very special episode coming up so stay tuned And go to patreon.com slash thefilmflamers to check out all of our bonus content. And this month, we are bringing you two new segments. So first up, we're going to be doing a segment where we talk about the horror genre and its relationship to subgenres and why we use the term horror adjacency so often here on The Film Flamers. And then after that, we're going to be starting a segment called Flamers Flashbacks. And the first movie we're going to be watching is... James Cameron's 1989 epic The Abyss. It's a first time watch for me, guys, so make sure you head over there and check that out.
1: Well, Robert, it's midsummer,
0: and I'm hot, and I'm tired, and I'm ready to go. That's right. I have to go dance around a maypole somewhere, so we're going to head off and find that. And afterward, we're going to have some
1: sweet, sweet dreams. dreams. What do you say that in Swedish? what a drama. I don't sweet know. and dream. <laughs> trauma is dream, I think. It's German. It's probably related. I don't know. Sweet, sweet. Oh, fucking, I don't bon know. Bon rêve. That's French. We mm-hmm. don't speak that in the podcast look anymore. I don't know. We've already covered that country. That <laughs> <And> never again.
0: <laughs> oh, never say never.